Let us turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in verse 4, the apostle says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Beloved, I delivered a message here this morning on the changes which have been made by the United Presbyterian Church in their doctrinal standards. And I explained how in this new confession of 1967, they are removing the Westminster Confession from its place of authority and its binding position in the church. And the reason they're doing it is that they no longer want to bear testimony to the infallibility of Holy Scripture. And they no longer desire to bear testimony to the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, this is not only clear in the way in which they have removed the confession, but it is the plain statement of the leaders that this is what they're trying to get out from under. They just simply don't believe the Bible any longer to be the word of God. And so they have removed the old standard and laid it over here to one side as a historical document of value to the church to show what the people believed back there when it was shaped and written. But they prepared a new one for our day. And the new one which they prepared for our day uh, doesn't have anything in it about the Bible being inspired or about the Bible being infallible. doesn't have anything in it about Jesus Christ being sinless or Jesus Christ being born of the virgin. In fact, the whole emphasis of the new confession is built upon the phrase which they find in the Bible, reconciliation. And they build everything around this one thought of reconciliation, and they come up with some very strange ideas about reconciliation which aren't even in the Bible. We're going to get reconciled to the communist world. We're going to get reconciled in the civil rights movement. We're going to get reconciled in the poverty program, we're going to get reconciled in the sex field. All these areas are touched on as fields in which we're going to get reconciled by making concessions. But, beloved, when you give up the faith in the infallibility of the Word of God because you don't believe the Bible's inspired, then you run into all manner of difficulty all manner of difficulty. And I'm going to point out one of these difficulties tonight as it, con it pertains to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, as I do that, I'm going to expound this second chapter to you first. I want you to see what's in this second chapter first, and then I'm going to turn and show you what's in this confession on the subject. But as I do it, there's a strange feeling about it. In the first place, as the pastor of this church, I just feel as though that we've been brought out to a position where we should all stand very close together. I wish that every time the doors of this church were open for the preaching of the gospel, that every member of this church would make it a point to be here if he could, because we need the word as we shall never need it before. And you dear people who are struggling with the pub public and everywhere you are, in the midst of the avalanche and the tide that's rolling over us, you need, as you have never needed before, to be close to the Holy Scriptures. And when they are removed, we must gather them to us and delight in them and seek to understand them as never before. Now, in this second chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the apostle of Paul is speaking about the meaning of the gospel. And he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. You didn't find me standing up here and exposing my own great knowledge and exposing my own great wisdom and exposing a Paul. I didn't come unto you with anything that made me stand out or made me look to you as though I was doing something in connection with what is being done. No, he says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came not to preach, Paul. I came not to bring you enticing words and speeches that would be of such a nature that you would marvel at that particular uh, type of language that I was using. He said, I came to just tell you this story. I came to just report to you what God had done. And I came declaring unto you the testimony of God. It wasn't the testimony of men that I was giving to you. It wasn't some kind of a, 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 of a demonstration of what man can do or what man can accomplish. I came to you in the simplest of speech just declaring unto you what God has done. What God has done for us that you would understand it and having understood it then you would enter into the greatness of it and the power of it and the wisdom of it and that you would find all that you needed from God, from God. Now he goes on to say, I was with you in weakness. We don't know how strong Paul was. He must have had some trouble with his eyes and other things about him. And in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Oh, I don't want to develop this for you because the other point is here, but I, I'm concerned about some of our young preachers once in a while. They want to demonstrate the enticing words of man's wisdom. They get their degrees and they all get puffed up and they want everybody to think they're somebody when they're nothing. And the end of all these degrees and the end of all this education and the end of all these things we stand for is not that the man who has it shall be puffed up, but that with it he shall be humbled. And with it he shall be able to use it simply to the end that he can preach the gospel more plainly and more simply and more directly so that more people will rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Education, scholarship is not an end in itself not in the church of Jesus Christ. It may be out in the world where you're thinking in terms of degrees in order to get a position, but it is not in the church and it never has been. And the apostle Paul says, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. The words of men do not have power in them, but the words of God have power in them. And when the word of God is preached, the Spirit is in it. The Spirit of God attends that preaching. And the Spirit of God brings the power that gives the new birth and gives life and gives the strength which God's people must have in order to live and to serve the Lord. So the apostle is making it very plain that he didn't come. He came in weakness. He came just as he was. But everything he did was to the end that men would see what a great God we have. What a glorious Father in heaven uh, ha has been given to us since he has revealed himself and we've come to know him. Now, verse 6. How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Those of you that have been born again, when you listen to the gospel, when you hear what the gospel is, you discover that that is wisdom. Yet not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom that's in the gospel, the power that's in the gospel is something that there's not in the world. The world doesn't have this wisdom and the world doesn't have this power. And so we don't confuse the world with the gospel. We don't try to mix them up. We keep them separate. So you can see what the world is over here with its darkness and what the gospel is over here with its light. And now he comes on down here and so beautifully he says... But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, this word mystery is what I'm running into and I'm going to deal with tonight because I want you to see it. We speak. What have we been speaking? Christ and him crucified. The wisdom of God, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. What he has given us in this gospel is wisdom. And when you see the gospel, when you believe the gospel, then you understand this wisdom and it no longer becomes a mystery, not to you, but it's a mystery to the ungodly. It's a mystery to those who uh, don't uh, accept the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't understand it. They can't understand it. 
which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, this is a wisdom which is a mystery to the princes of this world. This is a wisdom which is a mystery to all the mighty and the powerful that this world produces. But it's not a mystery to the Apostle Paul. It's not a mystery to the humble believer. It's not a mystery to those of us who believe that God did send his son and he died on that cursed tree for you and me. And when we see the plan that was revealed and what God did for us at that point, it's a marvelous, glorious declaration and it's no longer a mystery. We delight in it. We understand it. And every person listening to me who's born again tonight can understand what I'm talking about. But those of you who are not born again tonight, you just don't understand what I'm talking about. That's all there is to it. Now let's look a little further. Just follow this passage. Get your Bible. Look what he says in verse 9. But it is written, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Now, a lot of people think that refers to heaven. I don't think it does. That refers to what's in the Bible. That refers to what's in the Bible. It's there for us. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And then he gives some illustrations. He says, What man knoweth the things of man? Say the Spirit that's in him. You don't know what I'm thinking about, but I do, and I don't know what you're thinking about, but you do. And you have to reveal it, you have to tell us, and then we can understand each other. And so he says the same things with the Spirit of God. No man knows what the Spirit of God has revealed until the Spirit of God tells him. And the Spirit of God gave us the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's where you received it was from the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God gave all of that to us in this marvelous revelation which we call the Holy Scriptures. And there it is, the work of the Spirit been given unto us, and with the Spirit you can understand it. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world. Look at verse 12. Beloved, we, we're not like the world about us. We're not like the ungodly about us. We haven't received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by whom? God. Oh, beloved, how grand and how marvelous this is. We don't have the spirit of the world. We've been given the spirit of God that we might receive the things. We might, he says, know the things which are freely given unto us by God. And what God has given, he's given it to his people to believe and to understand and to know. And what God has put in this Bible, he's put it there for you. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things are for us and for our children. Do you see that in that passage, how it's unfolded? Now look a little further. Let me go take you a step further in. Now we have not received the the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things, the things which are mysteries to the world, the things which are mysteries to those in darkness. They're no longer mysteries to us. We understand them. Which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Did you ever hear these modern preachers say, well, now we've got to adjust our message we've got to rephrase it we've got to get the language of our day we've got to uh, uh, we've got in some way to let the church speak to our age you ever hear him talk like that that's about all you ever hear anymore what does this passage say why he says here in this marvelous passage which things he says we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but what the Holy Ghost teaches and don't you ever stop telling a man he needs to be born again don't you ever stop telling a man that he has to be saved. It's the language of the Bible. Oh, no, we don't talk about that anymore. We talk about a commitment. We don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about being born again anymore. Nobody understands that. And that's true. The ungodly don't understand it. And if you want to teach the ungodly so they'll remain ungodly, don't give them the word of God. 
But if you want to reach the ungodly so they will become the children of God, you take the word of God and give it to them. And the Spirit will use the word of God to open their eyes and the mysteries will vanish and they will see the wisdom of God in Christ and they will understand and they'll have God. Uh, yesterday up in Boston, after we had our, our demonstration, we walked down, we passed the Old South Church. They've got some historic churches there in Boston, Old North Church, of course, where Paul Revere took his signal. And, but the Old South Church was the one where just two or three weeks ago they had one of these dances, you know, what, two, is that what they call it, or something like that? Or Wuwasa or something, I've got some sort of a name for it and they had the pictures in the papers you know and the aisles were full of all these kids dancing and carrying on in some crazy way just packed with kids and then they brought these little things up here and the symbol of religion was the bible they put some symbols on the table and i went in that place yesterday my there's the old anglican church and the fathers that built it believe the old 39 articles believe the bible the old wood carving there, the chairs, the pulpit chairs, never saw one like it before. Big, heavy, and right up the top had some, like a little crown on top of it. But those stained glass windows, rich, deep, buried, and here were these scenes of Christ. Here he was dealing with the leper, and here he was uh, raising the dead, and then over here was Paul and Peter, and here was Jeremiah, and here was Isaiah and the four major prophets. And all of that looking down on that church. And now they've changed things up there so they can reach the young people of our day by just bringing them in and let them fill up the nice carpeted aisles with a dance and bring a symbol to the communion table. And I stood there in that place and says, God help us. You don't have to reach the young people by letting them dance in the church. Call that a form of worship. The way to reach the young people is to preach the word of God to them and get them born again and get the world out of them. That's the way to do it. And that's the purpose of the, the preaching of the gospel is to get the world out of people so God can come in and then they're going to have the glorious knowledge, the glorious blessing that comes from having the truth. Now look at this passage. We speak, he says, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in, the, in which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Well, tell me, please, tell me where I can find some words which the Holy Ghost teaches. You think you can get them in the Camden Courier? I don't think so. You think you can get them in the Evening Bulletin? I don't think so. You think you can get them from... Well, just think. Do you think you can get them from the Almanac? Where are you going to find the words which the Holy Spirit teacheth? Where are you going to find them? Well, I'll tell you where you can find them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now those are the words that the Holy Ghost teaches. And what did he say? You take the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. And he says you, con uh, you uh, uh, compare spiritual things with spiritual. And once you become a believer in Christ, once you have your eyes open in Christ, and once you've received the word of God and you've begun to understand the glories of that word, you know what you want? You ought to get more of it and more of it and more of it. And I can never get enough of the word of God. It's different from any other thing we have to deal with. And that's why you people who know the Lord and who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are under the ministry where the word of God is being preached, you ought to be there to get it and to take it with you. And when you've seen it in the scripture and you understand how it's beautifully laid out, then it will bless your soul and then it will strengthen you in your struggles and then it will deliver you from temptation and then it will protect you from all the assaults of the devil and then it will be the comfort that your soul needs in the struggles that we face as believers with this world of darkness. Now look at the next verse. My, how this stands together. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 
for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. Now we've had two groups here. Here's a group that knows something, and here's a group that doesn't know something. And the group that knows something sees in the gospel the wisdom of God, and the group that doesn't know anything sees in the gospel foolishness. And the group that does know something sees in the gospel the power of God. And the group that doesn't know anything sees in the gospel just some mysteries they can't understand. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful the way that's laid out there in that passage? Beloved, the gospel which we preach is foolishness to the ungodly. But God says you preach it and you preach it and I'll open their eyes and the mysteries will vanish and they'll see what I did on the cross and they'll understand that there the great transaction was finished and if they'll believe that Christ died for them, I'll justify them. The greatest thing you and I can do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinners. And the greatest thing we can do is to preach the word of God to the saints because you saints can understand it. And you saints can grow in the word and in the knowledge of God and grow in grace. And you do it only through the word of God. That's the only way you'll ever do it. Well, he says, the natural man receiveth the things Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, neither can he know him. Just can't know him. Now, I want to read you from the New Confession. There's a Bible, I've laid it before you, and you see it plain and clear. Let me read you from the New Confession. The whole thing is talks first God's reconciling, God's work of reconciliation, they take this word, and the second great section is the ministry of reconciliation. But let me get in the work, and it starts off here with Jesus Christ. Now, they've gotten rid of the Bible as the infallible word, and they've gotten rid of the Bible as being inspired. They don't believe that. They've left that all aside. But still, they want to make Jesus the center of what they're doing, and they do it in the name of Christ, and they bring up this emphasis on reconciliation. <clears throat> People kind of laughed at me, didn't you? It's a shame on myself. You know what that is? What do you call this thing? It's a lily of the valley in it. I've always loved that flower for some reason. It's got a nice odor. And I think one reason I've loved it was that there was an old maid in my church in Atlantic City called Miss Inch. She's dead and gone now long ago. But she always came to church in the summertime with these lilies of the valley. And she'd give them to me. And after we moved over here where we are, there were some people in this church, and I was up in their yard one. Uh, well, it was the Frasers up, up the way here, and they had some of these, and I just, they gave me some of them. We took a spade full of them, and I put them back the side of my garage there at the house. And when I came out to go to the car tonight, they were blooming, and I went over and picked up one of them. And I liked the smell of it. And uh, so I brought in the pulpit, and I knew I shouldn't do it, because, you know, you look at this thing, and you don't look at me. You look at this thing, and look at Mr. McIntyre playing with a little lily of the valley. And that's why I don't have any rings on my fingers. I have nothing for you to know. There's nothing to sparkle and hit you in the eye while I preach. You mustn't have anything. So, but tonight, I forgot about it, and I had it here, and I was smelling it, and had it here, and then I got to preaching and forgot about it, and I decided I'd better throw it away so I wouldn't be bothered with it. <laughs> but... Uh, I have a special little, I've always loved the flowers. My mother said to me, son, the first thing you did when you got out walking around was you went out and brought some in old dandelions and you said, aren't these pretty flowers? Well, you know what little yellow dandelions are? Ever since then, I've had a special affinity for dandelions. But you do love things and love flowers. and <clears throat> So I shouldn't have had that. That's detracted from what I was saying in this pulpit. All right, now let's go back. I want to read you this. God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery. Isn't that nice? God's reconciling act is in Jesus Christ is a mystery. 
Well, I just got through trying to tell you that it's not a mystery to those that are believing the Bible and the Spirit of God, but it's a mystery to those that don't believe it. Isn't that what I just showed you? Just showed it to you. God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery which the Scriptures describe in various ways. We're going to get a description of these various ways. It is called the sacrifice of a lamb, a shepherd's life given for his sheep, atonement by a priest, Again, it is a ransom of a slave, payment of debt, vicarious satisfaction of the legal penalty, penalty, and victory over the powers of evil. These are expressions of a truth which remains beyond the reach of all theory in the depths of God's love for man. Well, it may be for them, but it's not for me. I'm born again. I've got my eyes open. Let me read you this again. God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery. Well, Paul just got through telling us it's a mystery to the ungodly. It's a mystery to those that don't believe. It's a mystery who say it's foolishness. He calls it a mystery here. But he tells you that if you listen and you believe, you will know and it will be revealed to you by the Spirit and that you will possess the knowledge and the wisdom of God in this message of the gospel and what God did for us in the cross. Now it says the scripture describes in various ways, then it points out all these ways in which the scriptures just describe this mystery, and then it goes on to say that these are expressions. They're just expressions. No, ladies and gentlemen, the vicarious death of Christ on the cross isn't an expression. It's not an expression at all. It's not an expression of some mystery back there that you don't understand. No, you understand all about it. Everything that's said here about the gospel, about the cross, is just as beautifully understood by a Christian as anything can possibly be. For instance, we're told here that uh, it is the sacrifice of a lamb. Well, if you read the Old Testament, the lamb had to be slain so the blood could make the atonement. It's no theory. It's no mystery. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions. And that blood isn't theoretical blood. That blood isn't mysterious blood. It's the blood of a lamb. And Jesus was the lamb. And everything you read in the New Testament, Behold the Lamb of God! That's not a theory. What did he do? He takes away the sin of the world! Well, it may be a mystery to the ungodly. The Bible says it'll be to them, but it's not a mystery to me. Something I'm happy to report. Something I'm happy to, to, to declare. Something I'm happy to proclaim. It's something I'm willing to spend my life telling others about. I'm not fumbling around with some mysteries. I've got some good news to report. I'll tell you what God did for you. And when you understand how he did it, you, you say, praise the Lord, I've been justified. I've come to know the Lord. Look at this next one. A shepherd giving his life for his sheep. Is that a theory? No, Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. No man taketh it from me. And I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Oh, bless your heart, was that a theory? Was that an expression of some kind of mystery? No, beloved, that was exactly what Jesus Christ did. He did it, and we know he did it, and we understand how he did it, and the Bible tells us why he did it, and then we can realize what it does to us inside of us when you believe it. Look at the next one. Atonement by a priest. Well, here's Jesus Christ, the high priest, he took the sacrifice in the blood and took it into the Holy of Holies. Well, he did it. Where did he go when he went to heaven? He entered into the tabernacle not made with hands. And I want to tell you tonight, heaven is no theory. I want to tell you tonight, heaven's no mystery. When you and I get there, it's going to be a great place. Look at this. All of this. Again, it is, the, it is a ransom of a slave. Now, Jesus was the ransom himself. 
He said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Who did he give it to? To the devil? No. Who did he give it to? He gave it to God to satisfy the justice of God against sin. And when Jesus paid the ransom, he paid the price. And you're saved because you don't have to pay it yourself. Is that a theory? Is that an expression of some mysterious something that's in this act of reconciliation that nobody can understand? Oh, beloved, I'm laying my hand upon the heart of a document here which is now to take the place of the Westminster Confession. And when they turn loose of the infallible Bible, when they turn loose of an inspired book with the words inspired by the Spirit of God, when they cut the church loose from that, they've got a lot of mysteries. They've got a lot of mysteries. And even the cross becomes a mystery to them. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand what's here? I can understand it. And I can see it. These are the expressions of a truth which remain beyond the reach of all theory in the depths of God's love. So all they do, they talk about love, 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 love. And they don't know what love did for them. They can't explain it. And did you ever stop to realize that the big argument on every hand for all these humanists is love, 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 love. That's all you ever hear. Beloved, God loved us, but in loving us, he told us exactly and precisely how he gave to us redemption. Nothing was left obscured. Nothing was left mysterious about that cross. Jesus hung on that cross in your place. And if you'll understand it, it won't be a mystery. If you'll understand it, it'll be the greatest thing that ever happened for you. Because he bore your sins in his own body on the tree. Oh, if we could just get this to the church. And of course, the ungodly that are in these churches can't understand it. And it may be that that's what's the trouble with most of these preachers. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. But those who are spiritual, those who've been born again, those who believe in God as he's spoken in the Bible, and those who are willing to accept the word of God as the truth, we can understand it. And understanding it, then we can stand for the word. We can preach the gospel. We can go out to sinners and ask them to come to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My, I tell you, this new confession is a production of unbelief. That's all it is. It's a production of unbelief. And this is the first time in the history of any of the major churches in our country when they've openly, formally declared that they can't accept the infallibility of the Holy Scripture. It's been nullified. Men have just gone ahead and not believed it, but the creeds have been stated, have stated these things. But now they've taken the old creed and disposed of it. They pulled it down from the place of binding commitment. It's in a historical museum now where they can study it and look at it and get some benefit from it. But that's all. Oh, can you people understand what this preacher's saying to you tonight? Uh, is this message getting through to you? Those who are without Christ say the gospel's foolishness and they say it's a mystery and the authority for it is second is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that I read to you tonight. There it is. But those of us who've been born again and those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, the gospel isn't foolishness to me. It's the wisdom of God and he's revealed it to us. And the gospel isn't a scandal to you and me. It's the power of Almighty God. And your task and my task is to preach it. Because nothing else will save anybody's soul. Nothing else will save anybody's soul. This is the only thing that will do. You know, when you talk about this word mystery, you get into some of these other passages. You know, the Bible talks about the mystery of iniquity. The Bible talks about the mystery of Babylon. I think I know what the mystery of Babylon is. Babylon the Great. You know what the mystery of Babylon the Great is? That's a great apostate church of the end time that's described in Revelation. You know what the mystery is in that Babylon? Is how so many different viewpoints... And so many different contradictions. 
And so many different opinions can all hang together in one church and say that they have fellowship because they don't. It's impossible. It's the mystery of Babylon. And we're moving into that area where we're going to be able to see. And these men who, who say, well, I, I can't understand the gospel, it's a mystery, they're going to demonstrate to the whole world the mystery of their contradictions, trying to hold together and say they've got a united church. Now that is it. And you won't see that. You won't understand that unless you stay close to the Bible. And tonight, those of you who've come under the hearing of this message that I preach to you tonight, I have sharpened up your discerning mind. That's what's happened. And those of you who sat under the word of God as I presented to you tonight have had the spirit of God speaking to your heart and your mind and your discerning mind. The mind of Christ, as the apostle speaks of it here. We have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is the word of God infallible given to us as the Holy Spirit unfolds it to us. And we come into a saving knowledge of the Son of God. We're born again and we become new creatures. And then we're set apart from the world with all of its darkness. That we might be light shining. And that men might see in us and hear from us the message of everlasting life. Today is a turning point. This General Assembly up there is going to approve this thing tomorrow, next day, no question about it. Just a little group there that's just vanishing. They're going out across the country now for the next 12 months to get their presbyteries to adopt this thing. And the people in the pews, many of them will never hear anything about it. Some of them may. And those who listen to the 20th Century Reformation now are going to hear about it. But the great problem that you have and I have now is to reach the ordinary man who's a believer. To reach him. So that he can understand what's happened. And where they're taking us. I don't know, I told last night that story, <clears throat> maybe I can give you a little of it tonight, but somehow or other I think the Lord permitted that thing to happen to me because he wanted to just let me see afresh how he works, because his spirit works when and where and how he pleases. But I told you that on Friday night after I spoke, I spoke at that rally and I stood there for about almost two hours on the platform and these lights, these Klieg lights they call them, that they use for television and the like, there was a camera, NBC camera over here, was taping and photographing me while I spoke. And they say they're going to make a story out of it, and they'd been doing the same thing for the General Assembly, and so we didn't object. We said, come ahead. But you know, those lights shining in my face. I couldn't see the people. And I had the most wonderful experience of preaching in a pulpit like I talk on the radio. I talk on the radio, I don't see anybody, but I usually get to see you people, and I always am responsive to the responses of the people. I can tell whether you people listen or not. And I can always tell you when one of you is going to sleep. If I ain't trouble seeing these things, I, uh, any preacher that's worth anything at all has to establish a contact with the eyes of his people and with their faces. And it's, it's a tremendous thing to, to be engaged in, in a ministry where you have this pull and this tremendous pulse beat of speaking to people. And that's the way the Lord intends it to be. But these lights were on me and I couldn't see the people. Very difficult. And they kept shining and I began to get a little headache, you know, and they came in my eyes and and uh, then we'd eaten some meat at supper, ground meat, just hamburger, you know, cooked up and called some kind of steak. And uh, so we'd eaten that, and uh, I didn't eat all mine because I was a little bit cautious as we moved into it. I thought, this doesn't seem just right, so I didn't eat it. So when I got back to the hotel, I was working, we were dictating some things. I began to feel bad, and I took sick. <clears throat> and I vomited and a few other things, and so I... <laughs> felt like I was in some pain and I arranged then to go out and get some medicine, have someone get me some medicine. And so I was, and it was close to three o'clock, and I was asking the Lord to take care of me and lo and behold, telephone rang. And I thought, for goodness sake, who could be calling me at three o'clock in the morning? And so I rolled over on the bed and picked up the phone and says, hello. He says, is this Dr. Lantern? And I said, yes. I said, who are you? He says, well, he says, I won't talk to you. He says, I'm in trouble. He says, uh, I says, well, how did you get my name? How did you know I was here? He told me what his name was. And told me where he was from, out in Ohio. 
He said, well, I called your wife down in Collingswood, and she gave me the place where you were staying. And I said, for goodness sake, what happened to my wife to give this fellow his... Well, anyhow, I uh, listened to him, and he told me that he listened to my broadcast all the time and was all for us. But he said, I've got to have some help. He says, I've been drinking, and he says... I've got to get some power, Dr. McIntyre. I've got to get some power to be able to stop this thing. And he told me he was making a good, he said he's making $50,000 a year. He says, I don't have any trouble here. He says, I've got a wife and some children. And he says, I'm away on these traveling trips. And he says, they don't know the kind of life I'm living when I'm away. And he says, I've got to get straightened out. He said, could you help me? And then I asked him some questions and he told me about his grandmother. He had to tell him what her name was. He says, I listen to you, Dr. McIntyre. He says, you talk just like my grandmother talked. And he said, I saw in the paper that you were in town. I saw an ad that you were here. And I said, if anybody can help me, you could help me. So I called your home in Collegewood. And your wife told me where you are. And he says, I've been drinking. And he says, I'm drunk. But he says, I want to talk to you. He says, what do I need? What can I get? I said, well, sir, I said, you want power? There's power for you. And then I began. I really preached the gospel to that fellow on the telephone. I just told him how to get straightened out with the Lord, and he listened, and he told me, yes, he said, uh, uh, he uh, believed the Bible was the Word of God. It's wonderful how many drunks believe the Bible is the Word of God. <laughs> it's amazing. They <laughs> believe the Bible is the Word of God. And uh, he said, well, he said, I've been reading it. He said, I ran over in a book called Leviticus. He said, I can't make head nor tails out of it. And I said, well, you better not start with Leviticus. You better start with John. And I said, I told him some of the things in John, explained it to him. He, he, he said, oh, he said, that's what I want to hear. And then he told me, he said, he said I, I made a big sale. He said, I got a big sale today for $5,000 my commission. He said, I want to celebrate. And went over to the tavern here, and it's just one martini after another. And first thing you know, you've gone too far, and then there's some girls there. And he says, they get a hold of you. He said, I got one of them in my room now. And uh, I said, well, I said, you better put her out. And I said, get that woman out of that room. And... He went on, I said, sir, I said, the thing for you to do is to trust the Lord and get yourself sobered up and get the power of God and get this Bible in your hands and he'll give you the power that you need. And he said, uh, I said, well, I says, I'm up here. I said, now, sir, I know what I'm talking about. I says, the Lord's kept me all these years. I said, I've never had any problems like this. I never will. And I says, I don't drink. I've never taken a drink in my life. And I said, sir, I said, the Lord can straighten you out. And, oh, he says, Dr. McIntyre, he says, this is what I need. This is what I need to hear. And uh, he said something about the girl, about the girl talking. I said, well, put her on the phone. I'll talk to her. Sure enough, he put the woman on the phone. And so I told her she was a sinner. And I told her that uh, she told him about her life. She said that she was from out in Pennsylvania, a little town. She says, nobody knows the name. And I said, what's the name of it? And she told me, well, it's way out there somewhere around Williamsport. And I said, girl, I said, you know what's better. You know, you know you're doing wrong. And I said, you've got to get straight now. You've got to get the Lord to clean your life up. I said, he'll forgive you of your sin. And I just preached the gospel on the telephone from 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning. And this man had said to me, he said to me, he said, uh, uh, he said, I listen to you on the radio. And he says, I know. He says, the Presbyterians are up here. He says, this name of the name of Block or Black or Blake, he says, is up here. I says, that's right, Dr. Blake. And he says, I, I came up here to deal with these things. And I didn't say to him, I had no idea I was coming up to deal with a drunk. But ladies and gentlemen, I had something that that fellow needed. I really had something that that fellow needed. He put the woman out of his room. He called me back. He called me back three times. The last time he called me back, he said that some of his cronies were there. He's working for a very well-known firm in this country. If I mention the name, you don't know it. And he says, Tom's here, and he says, so-and-so's here, and he says, I've been talking to them, I've been telling them what you've talked to me, and I said, somebody, you're going to preach in this soon. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that man needed help. He needed power to resist temptation. He needed power to say no in moments of weakness. He needed power for his life. And, beloved, the world doesn't have it to give. The world knows nothing about the power of God which regenerates, which makes new creatures, which takes men and forgives them of their sin and takes the gospel. Instead of it being a mystery, it becomes the greatest news that anyone has ever reported on the face of this earth. 
Now, I expect to see that gentleman. He gave me his name, and I know where he's from. And I thought at first he was just some sort of a fake calling me up, you know, harassing me or something else. And when I questioned him and I found out he had talked to my wife and he knew a few of these other things, I thought, well, the fellow's sincere, so I'll just talk. You know, when I got through about 4 o'clock, I was well. Got no of my troubles. And I rolled over and went to sleep. But, beloved, I want to tell you something, that a gospel, which is a mystery, and that the people who preach it don't understand it, they're the ones that need to be saved. They need to be born again. And we're dealing with the most glorious deposit. We're dealing with the most glorious possession. We're dealing with a divine message and a revelation from God who made the universe. And from the God who sent his son into this old world to be crucified on a cross. And on that cross, the great transaction took place. Everything that needed to be done to bring you back to the Father was accomplished by Jesus Christ. And it's in that act that we are reconciled. And it's not a mystery. And if you'll take up the old confession that we've always loved and believed in our own catechism, it isn't a mystery there either. It's all spelled out so beautifully and simply as to what God did. And it even goes so far in our own confession to tell us that the decision of God to call us to be his children and the plan whereby the blood was to be shed was all worked out before the foundation of the world. And that's no mystery. It's just God telling us how much he loved us and how he planned it all. It was perfectly fulfilled. Jesus Christ said, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And he went to that cross because the Father planned it. He died on that cross in order that we might have a story to tell. The story of redemption and salvation for drunkards and sinners and harlots. For all who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Oh, the cleansing power, not of a mystery, but of the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for our sins. Don't you feel sorry about all these Presbyterians from now on? Their pulpits are going to be filled with preachers, and they'll get up and read from the new confession, and they'll tell them that the reconciling act is a mystery. Oh, I hope there's a few dear old saints sitting out there in the pew that'll go home and get their Bibles out and read the second chapter of 1 Corinthians where it says it's a mystery to the ungodly. It's a mystery to the world. But it is not a mystery to those of us who have been saved. And beloved, the power of God is here tonight. The message of life is here tonight. The message of redemption is in the ears of you dear people tonight listening to me. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And this is not the words which the world teacheth. This is Christ and him crucified. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this message. How the word lives in our souls. How redemption rises in our heart. And oh, tonight we can sing of our Redeemer and his matchless love for us. We thank thee that we are a people who are alert to what's taking place. And now may our people, Lord, live close to this book. And may all the saints of God in these last days understand as never before what thou hast given us, freely given unto us by thy Spirit. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he. So bless the word as we've preached it, and all who've heard it. And may thousands and thousands of people leave this apostasy. Leave it, O God. Come out of it. And go into churches where the gospel is preached in its simplicity, in its purity. And where all are united in believing it. For Christ's sake, amen.
All right, let's turn to hymn number 63, A Charge to Keep I Have, A God to Glorify. Let's stand and sing it, all of us. from today we're going to receive new members into our church many of you strangers many of you visitors many of you folks are in these national council churches you ought to get out of them but in the struggle in which we're engaged for this great message of salvation we need the help of you people we need your presence and I invite you to come if you're born again and know the Lord we invite you to come and put your membership in our church and help maintain this work and this witness which God is using throughout the world. We invite you to come two weeks from today. You can speak to me or Dr. Richter, but the preparatory service will be held Friday night, and we'll, you can meet the session at the close of that service, or Sunday morning you can meet the session before the church service, but we prefer and desire that you come on Friday night. Now let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for the work of the Spirit. We thank Thee that He's been present tonight. And we thank Thee that we've had a passage from the Scripture just live, just unfold before our very hearts. And our minds have been uh, uh, given a discerning quality tonight, which blesses our souls. May grace, mercy, and peace be upon us, for Christ's sake.